American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome in to another edition of American Hammers Radio. This is Season 2, Episode 2. I am your host, Tex of the Fresno Irons, joined as always by the lovely, dulcet, beautiful tones of Liam Bright. Liam, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we uh, stuck to a somewhat consistent schedule. <laughs> Here we are, <laughs> second week back into it. I know. It's going to be interesting to get back in the groove. You know, they say it takes 13 times to create a habit. At least that's what I've heard. So based on that knowledge, I think I can say this, okay? Welcome to the new home of the 2021-2022 EFL Championship Champions, West Ham United. I think it's fair to say that at this point. I have lost all hope. I do not believe that we have a lot of uh, positive. There are dark days ahead here. That game against Newcastle was horrendous, Liam. Horrendous. Yeah, it was painful. Um, that, that was a painful one to watch. Uh, well, the worst part is, uh, as as per se, because West Ham are good Samaritans, we gave the customary goal to Callum Wilson, as we should. <laughs> and then late in the game, when we're trying to get back into it, of course, we give up a goal to a guy who I think hadn't scored a goal in two years. And um, it was just uh, find him all alone in the box. He had enough time to set the ball down, wipe it off, pick out his spot, tell Fabianski to move a little to the right, and then kicked it into the corner. Mm-hmm. I, it's I I've watched a ton of West Ham games, you know, since I've been rooting for him. Obviously, there are people that have watched a lot more than me, but I will say this. That's the worst game I've seen West Ham play since the Burnley massacre where the fans ran on the field. That is the worst performance I have seen us put out there. Moyes looked lost. Our team was infighting, Liam, uh, yelling at one another. You could tell the frustration was all over the pitch. And there is a picture, if you have not seen it, it is on the Fresno Irons Facebook page of Mark Noble sitting there (laughs) And he just looks defeated, Liam. Defeated. He looks pissed, to be honest. Like, I, and it's not even just a pissed because he got pulled off. He legitimately looks pissed at like the performance, at the club, the situation. I think this is very much a watershed moment uh, for Mark Noble because you know what we talked about on the last episode, and you know we'd even talked about it last year. This idea that you know he's tired of being the guy that has to come in and you know be expected to save a game. And in this instance, you pulled him out. He didn't even have the opportunity to to try to make more of an impact because let's be honest, even though he was not impactful on the pitch, nobody was. Like we, yeah, we hit the woodwork twice. You know what I mean? But I'm never, you know, I'm never going to look at that as like, oh, that should have been a goal because it's like, well, if it, if it should have been a goal, it would have been a goal. It's if it hits the woodwork and bounces back, why are we not on top of that ball? Like the the biggest issue that I saw with this Newcastle game was not only were we lost, but anytime we were going up and challenging for a ball, we were never trying to head it or direct it to another one of our players. It was like our guys were going up just trying to win the header. And it's like, yeah, that's all well and good. Like, yay, good on you, Ogbana. You you beat, uh, uh, you know, um, Andy Carroll to a header. Like, good for you. But if you don't head the ball to Declan Rice so he can then take it up the field and you just give it right back to Newcastle, like the first... 25, 30 minutes were all Newcastle ball. Like it, it, when you see that, you could tell that they were exhausted before we even got into halftime. And then they came out the second half sluggish. You know, we, we did have some random good bouts of possession, but for the most part, it just, 
you know, to me, this felt like the team that was the middle of the season last year, right when we were transitioning out of uh, Manuel Pellegrini into David Moyes, where the team just looks lost. There's no tactics. Nobody feels like they're playing on the same team. It was just, it was a disaster. I'm going to say something that's incredibly unpopular, but part of me wants the, the team to blow up. Part of me does. <laughs> and, and, and the reason why is because there is a, and we've talked about this before in past episodes, Liam, there is a rotting sick culture at the core of this club that at the root of it that we, I mean, we almost need chemotherapy on the club and we have to just wipe everything out and start from scratch and build this team anew because the the point is we've had the same problems under Billich that we had under Pellegrini that we had under Moyes the first time and now Moyes the second time. These problems haven't gone away. The common denominator is not the manager, it's the team. Maybe it's GSB. Yeah. But there is something rotting the core of this club and it's stealing the energy. It's stealing the life. And most importantly, it's making the fans, the people that are the only reason that the club exists. Let's be honest. Sports only exist because of supporters, right? That's the only reason if the supporters weren't there, they wouldn't be dumping their money into the club to make more money and selling those tickets. If we stop watching, they don't exist. And the fans are starting to get sick. Now, West Ham fans are the most loyal in the world. So I don't think we're going anywhere. And I think we could watch us lose 6-0 every week. And we would just bitch and complain every single Monday after the weekend. But the the (laughs) point is this. We have a a situation at the club right now where I'm going to point something out. Newcastle has Andy Carroll, former West Ham United, John Joe Shelby, an East End boy who we've been linked with multiple times. And they also have Callum Wilson, a striker who we have tried to acquire in the past. What does that game look like if all three of those players are wearing the Claret and Blue? What does that game look like? Because you could make the argument, Liam, in that game, those are the three best players on the pitch for Newcastle. Obviously, St. Maximilian looked really good, and I understand that, but those three guys were causing havoc. We couldn't handle Andy Carroll in the air. Well, now we understand why everybody hates Andy Carroll so much because we got a dose of what he was when he was with us. Yeah. And the the point that I'm trying to point out is you look at this Newcastle game and you just shake your head because you watch the players on the pitch and you go, okay. Newcastle is a club that, yes, they're large, are the only club in Newcastle. I get it. It's a one club, one town, and they pretty much own Northern England. I get that. But nobody thinks that Newcastle has the – I mean, I just don't feel that Newcastle has the life that West Ham United do. I feel like West Ham's a richer culture. It's a more fun club. They're they're a little more famous – in my opinion, I knew Newcastle's had their time where they were good, yeah. but I, West Ham, I mean, we're in London. We're in the capital of England, and it's just infuriating to watch that performance and to then every time they show a man, the picture of Moyes on the sideline, Liam, I want to puke on my tits because I know that guy <laughs> is lost. He yeah. is lost. You can see it on his face. Those blue eyes are signifying the air that's inside that skull. Yeah. Well, it's all, I'm, I'm surprised they're not gray because he's heads full of clouds at this point. I mean, it's, and you make a, a super valid point, man. Like when you really think to the money that we've spent on certain players, right? Like Manuel Lanzini, uh, Felipe Anderson, 
you know, Sebastian Hilaire. Like, yeah, it's great that we were able to make, you know, somewhat, you know, marquee signings. But you and I said ad nauseum last season how we would have taken Danny Ings in a heartbeat, right? Dude wouldn't have cost a whole lot of money. We could have got him in fairly cheap and he scores goals. Callum Wilson, as much as, you know, I think he, before this this previous game, I think he's been kind of a dick bag, especially when referencing, you know, the amount of goals that he scores against West Ham. But let's be fair too, like, we wouldn't think anything of Antonio if he was saying that about Spurs. We'd be like, yeah, get him, fuck Spurs, you know? But like for the, for for uh, Callum Wilson to to be able to be consistent, to, to always be able to find a way to split our center backs or find his way into the box and still put it in the back of the net. I mean, look at this. this his goal was not a pretty goal, right? Like he kind of foot stabs it in the air. Fabianski just didn't get hands on it, um, which I, I, I really... I put some of the blame on Cresswell for letting the cross go in, right? Like, you, well, like it's not, I, no, it's not some of the blame. It's a hundred percent of the blame. That's that is the key to why West Ham United struggle is because we have those lapses way too often, Liam. Way yeah. too often. Well, and and I think a lot of it was I think Fornells Fornells didn't track back quick enough, and then Cresswell didn't cover the space, so it gave them way Newcastle more than enough to be able to put that cross in. Fabianski does, you know, they they do the little flick on header. Fabianski doesn't doesn't get in front of it. Callum Wilson stabs it home. So you know, yet yet again, like you said, it's defensive lapses, and I, I've kind of put it on the whole that whole you know back line. I think really the only person that had a good game was Ryan Fredericks, and even for that, he made up for his mistakes with the fact that he's super quick. Like he has the pace that he was able to get back, and I think he did a decent job shutting down Sam Maximan because. The last time we played Newcastle, we got completely skinned alive, uh, you know, on that on our right hand side, their left side. So I thought they did a much better job shutting him down, following him, fouling him when it made sense. I think they said it was something like eight times in that game. So, you know, I, I think they that part of the game plan actually worked. But we looked lost in the middle of the pitch, and I think that you know. If we had had player like Andy Carroll, let's be honest, even if we had him back on the team, he would have been injured because Rush Green is a, a sack of shit of a training ground. And so he would have been injured anyways. But I do think that Callum Wilson, I firmly believe that John Joe Shelby would make a huge impact in our midfield. And if you flip-flop those players onto our squad, I mean, this is a very different game. This is a 4-5 nil game with that type of uh, attacking acumen that I feel like we just lack in the moment. I, you're a hundred percent right. And it's, it's a, it is a piss poor performance. There's no, there's really no positives to take out of it. Um, the one positive that I'll say is David Moyes nailed it in his interview when he said we were miles away from what we were. Yeah. He was a hundred percent right. And I don't like David Moyes and I'm off. <laughs> like I supported him last week. I thought, okay, he's going to get it, but here's the truth. We have a young player by the name of Declan Rice that we want to build around. The The fact of the matter, Liam, is that if we don't start turning it around, he will be a Chelsea player before this window's over. Yeah, um, and it and and the 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 ongoing narrative with that too is even if he does get sold to, sold to Chelsea or when he gets sold, sold to Chelsea, GSB is not going to utilize those funds in a way that will actually strengthen the squad. They will spend money on players that that don't fit into the system that Moyes is trying to to execute on the field, and we're going to look just as lost just without Declan Rice to at least try to soldier some aspect of that midfield. So 
obviously we're on the same page on this game. Uh, a couple of notes in that game. I did think Sebastian Haller, when he came in, he looked decent. But there were some notable names that were left on the bench. And yes, Philippe Anderson got about, I think, 33 seconds um, <laughs> yeah. in the game when he came on. But it's notable that Snodgrass wasn't on there. He's been known to put in a shift. No, he's not the most talented player. But for some reason, when Snodgrass is on the pitch for West Ham United, good things happen. I don't understand why we don't play him more, especially when it comes to set pieces and sending in corners. He is by far, without question, the best player to be doing that for us. Yeah. Sebastian Haller did not start. Manuel Lanzini didn't get a sniff. And Philippe Anderson got 33 seconds. I point out those four players because on Tuesday... West Ham United had an FA Cup match against Charlton Athletic. Or was it was it FA Cup or was it EFL? Uh, this was uh, Carabao. Yeah, the Carabao okay, Cup. Okay, so yep. it's the Carabao Cup. I apologize. Carabao Cup game against a League One side. I understand. But I want to make a point here. All four of those players who, quote-unquote, are not being rated right now by our manager who all he does is win. I'm going to remind you that. That's what he said. <laughs> They get out there. Sebastian Allaire has two goals, and Manuel Lanzini has an assist, and he has two key passes, and Philippe Anderson gets a goal. Yep. And Snodgrass, I think, got man of the match. I'm not positive on that, but I think he was in the mention for one of the best players on the field. I might have been Allaire, but Allaire and Snodgrass had multiple mentions in everything that I read. So this yeah. is what I'm going to point out here. How is it? That, yes, Newcastle is a Premier League side, and I understand that. But how is it you get it so wrong against them, but you get it fairly right against Charlton Athletic? I don't understand that. Same, I don't and get it. And, and I think that's what's so, so frustrating, right? Because when you really look at the pieces that we have to play with, I guarantee you that there are at least half the other clubs in, in the Premier League that would love to take players off our starting lineup. You know what I mean? Like we've we've had Arsenal sniff after Felipe Anderson. You know, you've got, you know, Italian sides looking at uh, um, Manuel Lanzini, you know, German sides still looking at bringing Allaire back. Like we have talent on the field. And I think that I just think that Moyes never really sets them up in the games that we need them to perform. Right. Like we always say, uh, you know, when we play like Burnley, right, or Sheffield, we're like, oh, this is where we can pick up points. This is where we can pick up points. And those are typically typically the games we lose or the games where maybe we are winning and then they get that last snatch equalizer that that leaves us at a draw. So, you know, we're picking out one point when we could have had three. And then we we, we show up for the big teams, right? Like we did the double on Chelsea. We took four points from Man United last season. So why is it that we can show up in these big games but we can't show up in the teams that are the mid to lower table teams. Like I, I, that never makes sense to me. And then think about FA Cup last year, right? We went out to West Brom in a in another piss poor for performance. Like you and I sat there at full circle, tearing what's left of our hair out because we were just so frustrated with what was happening. And then you look at this Charlton Athletic game where we looked dominant. We looked like you know a Premier League side facing a league one side, which is the way that it should always be. Anytime we're playing lower league competition, we should absolutely look dominant. When we go up against Hull on Tuesday, we should look dominant. So why can't we do that against teams like Newcastle? Like, as you said before, no disrespect to them. And I doubt there's any Newcastle fans that are listening to us anyways, but they are nowhere near on our level. I don't look at Newcastle and think that they are on the same level as West Ham. Not from a talent standpoint, not from a legacy standpoint, 
it's just mind-boggling to me that we struggle with teams that we really just, we shouldn't. And maybe that's my inflated ego and I just think we're better than we are. But when I, like I said, when I look at the, the, the names on the team sheet, we should be fucking ruining these teams and we just don't. Uh, you're right. And th- that's the problem with every West Ham fan. We do view the world through claret and blue lenses. I totally understand. And I'm not, I, I don't want to discredit Newcastle. They put, they, they were the better team from the moment the ball kicked off to the end of the match. There was Hands no down. point. Oh, yeah. There was no point that West Ham was on their level, but you, you have the feeling that West Ham should be better. And I think that's what we need to point out. You look at our starting 11 and we should be better. This is what doesn't make sense to me. I am not a Pablo Fornells fan. I've told you this a million times. <laughs> I don't believe that this guy is the answer, especially when they we constantly play him in the wrong position. He's a number 10, and we constantly put him um, on the wing. And I don't understand that. I don't get it. And I don't think he's the best number 10 on the team. I think that's Manuel Lanzini. So yeah. when I when I look at this situation, this is what doesn't make sense to me. He got it 100% wrong, Moyes, against Newcastle. Nothing worked. His substitutions didn't work. His tactics didn't work. The only player that I will give any credit to is Sebastian Allaire because when he came on, he was fighting, and he had a couple of opportunities if he would have gotten some service. And we know that that's always the problem, but if you watch, he was trying. And I, I give him, I think he was our best player on the pitch, and he played the fewest amount of minutes. And I'm not trying to be mean to anybody else, but that's the fact. Right. So you go into the Charlton and they play four guys that supposedly we're trying to get rid of. Philippe Anderson, Robert Snodgrass, Manuel Lanzini, and Sebastian Hilaire. All four of them played phenomenal. Their, the lowest prayer rating on those four was an eight. Oh, shit. And that, that eight was given. They had eights and nines. That's how good they looked. And this is what doesn't make sense to me. Who do we start against Arsenal because let's not play a game here. Arsenal is going to be better than us almost at every position, but a few. So we have to put a team out there that can do something. So I'm going to ask you a question, Liam, because this is tough. Okay. Who do you start against? Do you put Mikel Antonio out there or do you put Sebastian Heller or do you get off your fucking ass and put them both out there at the same time? Because Sebastian Hilaire is a Robin. He is not a fucking Batman. And we have to understand that. Mikel Antonio has proven he can be a Batman. Let him be a Batman. Let him do the holdup play. Let him take guys on. Let him run people off. Let him create space for Hilaire. And why the hell is Manuel Lanzini not going to get a shake? At least get 30 minutes in the game on Saturday. Why are we not going to see Robert Snodgrass come in for set-piece specialty? Yes, he lacks in pace, but when he puts in a set-piece, he can make up for his defensive struggles because he can score goals or he can create goals. And why, oh why, does Felipe Anderson only show up against these lower sides? Can somebody talk to him and tell him, hey, dude, you're supposed to be better than everybody. This team, Arsenal, wants to buy you. So go out there and play your ass off. Because the way I'm looking at it, Liam... We have a huge opportunity here to at least get a point against Arsenal. And no offense, we're going to need points. Arsenal has not been tested. They beat the dog crap out of a Fulham team that I, I'll i be curious to see if Fulham even win a game all year. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. <laughs> Although I say that and Fulham will beat West Ham the first time they play us. Right. So, this question comes up because I understand and I know people are going to beat me up on this. 
I know that Charlton is a League One side. I get that. But why is it do those players that we have been told do not fit the system and aren't good enough show up and play like the dominant performances they should have against that side, and yet the team we put out there against Newcastle, and mind you, we don't have any major injuries. That team that went out there against Newcastle should have been our best 11. So either Moyes doesn't understand it or those guys don't want to play for us. And I think it's Moyes doesn't understand it. Agreed. And I mean, like, I don't know if you want to go into the the, the lineups uh, specifically. We can. Like, I've got mine all pulled up for it. But I think that a lot of this does stem from Moyes not knowing what his starting 11 is. I think he went with... That that lineup for Newcastle because that was pretty reminiscent of the sides that we finished the the side that we finished out with at the end of last season, uh, where we had a decent run in those last you know six seven games. So I think he was trying to stick with what he thought works for him, but he still doesn't play to the other team. I think he had a moment uh, like I think he had a Pellegrini moment, right? You and I talked about this last season where uh, Pellegrini would set up his game plan and would just assume that the other team would have to play to him as opposed to him having to tailor his tactics to the other team. So he would go out there with the same tactics week in, week out, and then be surprised that we got beat. And stay, you know, he'd say stupid su- stuff in the pre- press conferences like, oh, well, the other team scored more goals than we did, so we didn't win. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Like, that's the way the game works. So I think that Moyes very much had that moment. I think he went out thinking, oh, well, Newcastle's going to have to tailor to me. Like, they're going to have to tailor their tactics to me. I don't think he ever really looked at Andy Carroll or Callum Wilson as a threat, and he needed to because he's been here long enough that he knows Callum Wilson is prolific when it comes to scoring against West Ham. He knows that Andy Carroll has a tendency to be right place, right time. I really thought when he's sombrero Diop that he was going to volley that ball right into the back of the net. Like I was surprised Carroll didn't put one up over us. So it's, I think this is very much a case of Moyes not reading the cards right, as opposed to, you know, uh, just that our guys weren't putting in a shift or weren't trying to, to, uh, you know, to, to push for the win. I think that is part of it. I think they lost heart uh, when they realized that they were going to spend majority of this game defending. But there, there very much was uh, the potential for our team to be successful. I just don't think we were lined up to do so. Well, so you bring up an interesting point, like about a starting lineup here. So first off, well, I want to know your shape, and I would love to know who you're going to put in there. Like, so, who, who starts against Arsenal? What is our best 11 according to Liam Bright? So, for for me, and, like, I know this is going to be partial because this is what I played uh, when, when, I, when, I, you know, when I was still active in, in, in soccer. But this is, you know, I, I'm more partial to the 4-4-2. Um, I, I personally prefer a diamond shape, but I think that might leave us a little bit too exposed on the wings for Arsenal. So, I would suggest we go with the empty bucket tactic where it's more of like a 4-2-2-2. So obviously you have Fabianski in goal because, you know, uh, even with uh, Randolph's performance against Charlton Athletic, I still don't think that I put him over Fabianski like any day of the week. Um, Fredericks, I think he's done enough so far this season to, to maintain his his position at, uh, at right back. I think Ben Johnson did a fantastic job against uh, Charlton. I don't think that he's shown well enough in preseason so far. Uh, that he that he takes the the starting position, but I think that um, 
he's he's a solid backup, and I think eventually he will overtake Fredericks with more game time. Uh, I keep Diop and Ogbana in the middle. Uh, I like you and I talked about on the last episode. Benbuena is just not where he needs to be uh, to challenge for that starting line. So I would still keep Diop and Ogbana. Um, I'm actually going to put Masawaku out on the left-hand side, and I put that with a caveat, right? Last time we played Arsenal, we got ripped apart, right? Um, once uh, Cresswell got, I think it was Cresswell got injured or carded, and he got he he got pulled off in that Arsenal game, and then Masawaku came in and PP freaking tore him apart. Like all three goals came from that same side. Uh, but I I think Masawaku showed really well in the Charlton game, and I think that he will link up better with Anderson, and I'll get to Anderson. So Masawaku on the left-hand side. I've still got Suchek and Rice um, as the double pivot in the middle, and I actually would prefer Rice to stay back and kind of stay protection between the two center backs. So we can shift from this 4-4-2 empty bucket to a 3-5-2 once Fredericks and Masawaku kind of push up because that allows uh, Diop and Ogbana to spread out and Rice to drop in so there's almost that three-man back that we played with uh, when we had Bilic in charge. Suchek, as we've seen, has been a super dangerous threat when he ghosts into the box, especially when we need him to bring his head game in. Um, I'm going to put Bowen, on the right-hand side, Anderson on the left, because I think Anderson and Masawaku will actually play uh, really well off each other. And then I'm going to put Alaire and Antonio up top. Now, what's also going to be really nice about this is Anderson can drift into that number 10 role, because obviously Suchek and Rice are going to be more of that double pivot to prevent, protect the back line. So if need be, we can kind of hybrid that into a 4-3-3 with... Anderson taking the number 10 and Antonio getting pushed out wide on that left. So then it looks like your front line is Bowen, Allaire, and Antonio with Anderson tucked behind Allaire to play that number 10 role to play up to Allaire's number nine. And then, like I said before, you've got Suchek that can overlap with Anderson in the middle and become another attacking threat in the box. I think the best way to defeat Arsenal is to pin them back in their own half because once they get to our back line, that's where I think things start to fall apart. But I think if we can keep pressure up, I like this lineup. How about you? Uh, it's it's shocking. We hang out too much. The only <laughs> difference I have is I don't put Philippe Anderson on. I put uh, Lanzini um, yeah, and let him fine. drift into that. Let, let him drift into that number ten role. I like everything you did. The only player that I I struggle with, I for sure start Ben Johnson over Cresswell. Um, Cresswell, like I, I, we've seen what he's going to be. We know what he's going to be. And Ben Johnson, we're not sure if he's reached his potential yet. Cresswell's already peaked. I think Ben Johnson has a higher ceiling. Put him out there against a tough team like Arsenal. Let him rise to the occasion. That's what I say. Um, the only guy that that needs to be on there, but it's he's just unfortunately based on the lineup that we've both chosen. It's hard. Is Noble? Um, yeah, Noble. Always. Noble needs to be there. Um, but are you really want to take off Suchek? Do you really want to take off Rice for Noble? It's that's tough. You can't. Um, that's 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 passion over over practicality. Yeah, and then the only other option I, I could really see is if you believed enough, if you believed enough in Antonio, you could pull off um Hilaire and have Noble play the number 10 because he's been successful at it before for West Ham United. Um, and Lanzini is really dangerous coming off that left because he's so dangerous with his right foot. Yeah. So I, 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 you're right, dude. I think that either way that kind of works, which is going to be interesting to see what Moyes actually goes with. Cause I think maybe he does start noble. So he has more bite 
in the midfield because let's let's be honest, Noble is more inclined to get stuck in. But if you're trying to face Arsenal, man, I think you need more pace. And I think with Bowen, Antonio, Anderson, they give you pace. Alaire doesn't, but if you can let him sit between the center backs, you know, it, it pins back the, the, the defense. And I think that's what we need. I do have one final thing, and I'm going to make one point. And I saved this to the end on your lineup. The only other change that I make, and to me it's a non-negotiable, <laughs> um, I absolutely do it. I don't start Bowen, and I start Yarmolinko. And the reason I put Yarmo out there, and, and hear me out before, because I know everybody's <laughs> rolling their eyes at me. Tell me the last time Yarmo didn't be on the pitch and hit something that looked like it was going in from that left side. Yeah. That's he true. is so dangerous coming on that side. We all know it. There's something to say about a player that everybody in the world knows what he's going to do. He wants to get it. Don't show him the open part of the goal. If he gets the ball on his left, he's sending it in. But the guy is incredible. He's so good. Even when you know it's coming, he's able to make it happen. So no offense to Jared Bowen, but Jared Bowen to me is the change of pace player, not Yarmolenko. Yarmo starts and plays 60 minutes, gives you everything you got. Then you bring on a guy like Jared Bowen and let him with his pace and what he can do. I mean, that, that to me is the smartest way to play that right side for West Ham United because you've got to have Yarmo out there, Liam. Like, I don't understand why you don't. He has been proven. He ended the season strong, but for some reason people shit on the guy and I don't get it. I think it's a pace thing, man. Like, I I really think that that's the biggest problem with Yarmo. He's kind of like a lair, right? Where he's a bigger guy. You know, he's just not quick off the ball. Uh, You know, he, he can, he can play fancy. He can do some tricks here and there. Um, but I just, I never, like, unless he's picking up the ball in the box, I never really look at him as a threat. If he, if he receives the ball too deep um, into midfield or God forbid in our defensive third, there's no way that he's going to carry the ball forward. Like he's going to get taken off the ball. Whereas Bowen, and I think with Anderson on the other side, or like, as you said, with, with Manuel Lanzini, I think that they're flashy enough of a player that that they can they can beat their man on the side and then get it up to the box. So if anything, man, like yeah, you could probably have say we say you pull, I'd probably keep maybe you keep Bowen, right? And you you flex Antonio over to the the left hand side where Anderson is, and you put Alaire and Yarmo up front. So neither of them really have to do all that much running because it, most of the, mostly their job should be just pin back the center backs and give the center backs more than one person to deal with. This whole lone striker bullshit that we've been doing for years now, it has proven that it just it is not it does not work consistently. And the more attacking threats that we have in the box, the more likely we are to take the game to the other team instead of constantly inviting pressure until eventually they get that bullshit goal. Like no goal has ever gone in that I felt like, wow, they really earned it. It's usually like, no, we fucked up and we let the ball in. Yeah. I think um, I think every goal, even the ones they earn, I say that about. No offense. <laughs> um, so I, it's an interesting discussion. And it's going to be very interesting what Moyes does uh, this Saturday. At, it's noon uh, West Coast time. I think it's three o'clock for you guys out on the East Coast, and um, it's going to be an interesting shout to see what happens. Um, I, I, the the one thing I'm going to say is that I would love to see Lanzini. I would love to see Snodgrass. I'd love to see Allaire get some actual time on the pitch to make an impact. Um, that to me is the key thing. Uh, Philippe Anderson, I'm I'm still not sold on. I think he's. Uh, 
I don't think that he's not good enough to play in the Premier League. I think he's too emotional to play in the Premier League. I think uh, if he's not involved, I think he tends to disappear and he starts to feel sorry for himself out there. Right. So that that's my issue with him. Lanzini, to me, he's got a little bulldog in him. He wants to play, but I've told you this before. The, the biggest knock on Lanzini is that he's a world-class player, not playing with world-class players, so he plays a different game, so he sends a pass that the guy's not ready for, and it it looks bad. That's why I think if Lanzini goes to a big-time club, we're going to see what he can really be, and we're going to go, holy shit, we had that guy on our team. But it's it's the way it is. It's all about who you're surrounded with. It's the team you can put. So, David Moyes, I know you don't listen to American Hammers Radio. You probably shouldn't because we shit on you all the time. But in the <laughs> event that you do listen – Hear me out. Don't be a dumbass and reevaluate this lineup and overhaul it. I would love to see at least four changes against Arsenal. To me, that is what it's going to take for us to have, you know, send the message to the team. You play well, you play. Like it's simple as that. Let's yeah. let's start to let's start to reward people that are in good form. Um Obviously, you look at this team, and we've talked about it. We need reinforcements, especially we could use a center back uh, tremendously. Um, we need to get rid of some some guys, absolutely. Maybe Moyes and I disagree on who those people are. Um, but the big thing is the transfers is this. I'm going to tell you what the transfers are to me. They've become fairy tales. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's Santa Claus because all I can really say is like, we talked in our pre-production meeting and, you know, we had some things to go over and transfers, but the truth is Liam, no matter who's linked to us, I, I'm not, I don't really give a shit because whoever's yeah. linked to us is not good enough to really change the team. Like Thomas Suchek is the guy that we're going to have to deal with right now is the biggest piece. And I'm not saying deal with in a bad way. The player is a great player, but Liam, what do you got for us in the transfer uh, window here? Well, I mean, it, we've been linked to a bunch of like random names. And I think that what just recently was Danny Rose from Tottenham. And it's just, it, it's like you said, it's it's all fairy tales. It's all, you know, blunderbuss to try to get us to to think that they're still going to spend their money when we know they're not. I mean, the this whole consistent rumor that has been circulating for the last several weeks of uh, American consortium looking to buy out the club has just led more fuel to the fire that GSB are money grubbing assholes. And they're just going to hold on to the money that they made from the Grady sale as well as the Ajeti sale. I mean, there wasn't really much money for Roberto, but regardless, you know, like any of the pieces that were sold off Jordan Hugel, right? All that did was save money on the wage bill that then put money back in the pockets of GSB. And as long as they don't have to spend their money on anybody else, it's all money that they're going to take with them when this sale is done. And I firmly believe that even though, you know, some people are, are saying, oh, I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to the rumors. It, I, I think it, the writing's on the wall, man. And I think that's why we don't see anything really happening uh, with the transfer windows. I mean, if the if the sale doesn't happen within... The next couple of weeks, right? Because I think October fifth is the is the deadline day. You know, yeah, maybe they try to squeak, you know, a, a player in right at the at the death. But I'll be honest, man, I almost can feel, I could like I could feel them tightening up and just going like, nope, not going to spend any more money because they're I think they're kind of hoping this sale. I, not that I don't think they want to sell the club. I think that they do want to hold on to us, but I think they are. They're reading the tea leaves, and I think they're hoping that if a number comes in high enough, it makes it worth it for them to sell. I 
Liam, I'm, I'm going to spoiler alert, everybody. Spoiler. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Okay. I've seen this before. We've watched <laughs> this movie. Um, you know, this is, let me tell you what's going to happen. We are going to sign someone. It's going to be a name nobody knows about, and he's going to be from Preston North End, and he's going to be a striker <laughs> that we're going to overpay for for about $8 million, and we will sell him three years later for $2 million. Yeah. Okay. Sounds about right. That So there's the, um, there's the transfer saga is over. We don't even talk about it anymore because that's all that's going to happen. On the flip side, everybody needs to understand we're not selling the club. They're not selling the club. So I understand all this is happening right now and people are making waves, but I, I got news for you. They're not selling the club. And the reason they're not selling the club is because if you're reading the tea leaves, then you know this club jumps in tremendous value in 2023 because we probably are going to have the rights to the London Stadium at that point. They're right. not going anywhere. Okay. They're not going to sell this club right now as long as they're not going to get maximum profit. And because they can't achieve maximum profit right now, they are doing the one thing you have to do. They're not going to buy anybody of note right now, and they might spend a little money in the January transfer window in order to keep us up. Because as long as they can maintain Premier League status, Liam, this club, even in the 17th spot, is still worth a billion dollars probably. <laughs> I, well, mean, I think I think they they val- they tried to say they valued the club at 800 million, which is I- impossible because the the rumored consortium that that did put a bid in, right? The Americans that put in the bid, um they the Newcastle was valued at I think it was 300 million, so they added another 50 million dollars to the bid stating that well because this club is in London, it should be more valued than a club that's in the north, right? Um, they put in a 350. There's a rumor that they came back or that they're coming back with like a $400 million bid, which when you think about that is still half of what GSB actually values it. And that the, the issue with the 2023 sale is everybody's assuming that that's going to be the case because as long as GSB holds on to it till 2023, they don't have to pay back. They don't have to pay taxes to the taxpayers. So it's if it sale, sells before then, then they do have to pay back a decent amount of money in the taxes. But I think the bids that are coming in are taking that into equation to try to lessen the the lack of money that eventually GSB will get. And let's be honest, Karen Brady's not getting fucking money from this, right? It's it's David Sullivan and David Gold. They're, they're getting the money. And to, you know, Trip Smith, the you know, the 10% uh, shareholder, the American that owns, that already owns 10% of the club. Um, what is it? Uh, Gold owns... 30%, Sullivan owns 51%. So he's the majority shareholder. Uh, the other part of this saga that's been going on is that the consortium that's being uh, rumored, like there's no definitive link, but it's this creative artists agency, which is a uh, referred to also as CAA, but they're a um, sports agency. So they deal with like a lot of football players and basketball players and whatnot. Uh, and they recently purchased uh, London's uh, company called Base Soccer Agency back in July. So this was marking their first foray actually into owning a soccer-based uh, sports agency. So the 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 link to that is what's really tying them into the possibility that they're the ones bidding for the club. Uh, and it, when you think about it, it actually wouldn't be a bad sh- uh, shake, man, because at, at the, the company themselves is valued at $10.6 billion dollars. 
it's a ton of money. And especially with them bringing on the that base soccer agency and the ability to consistently generate income because you're always selling players in different sports. It's not contingent just on the soccer world or the football world. It can be American football and soccer. So there's this potential for them to continue to, to build up and generate more income that they can spell, uh, spend in the transfer window. But let's be honest, majority of people overseas, they look at American investors and go, well, that's the death of the club. Because as much as they hate GSB, they also think that all of us Americans are stupid and don't understand how football works. So for some people, they're looking at this as a lose-lose. Whether we get stuck with GSB until 2023 or the Americans buy us out, uh, you know, it's pick your poison. All I can tell you, Liam, is I love you to death, but my God, you are believing too much of this bullshit. <laughs> There's just too much. I mean, look, look I, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. They're not selling the club. Whoever this American consortium is, when you have a gap of $400 million to $800 million, I'm going to tell you the truth. They're, they're not selling. They're going to yeah. have this American consortium either has to meet that $800 million valuation or they're not selling. We're talking about GSB. Okay. Yeah. They are the stingiest owners in all of the premier league. They're even probably worse than Mike Ashley at Newcastle. Oh, I'm just going to say it. Oh yeah. So the way that I look at it, and I'm just going to be honest with you is it's all bullshit. Like the, this is they're They're not selling the club. This is, I, I honestly believe this. Okay. Here's my conspiracy theory. I think this is this whole story. This American consortium has been put out there by GSB to give the fans something to bullshit about why they do something over here. It's called sleight of hand. Magicians do it all the time. There's yeah, something you, going on. But you know these guys aren't magic in any any way, shape, or form. So I it yeah. doesn't matter if they're not magic. They believe they are, Liam, and that's what you're missing here. They believe that yeah. they are doing something sleight of hand. We're not idiots. Like I, I'm just I wanna I wanna live in reality on this for a moment. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. And we now stories are coming out right now. I want to move into this if it's okay. Yeah, there's yeah. Un, there's unrest between these owners. And I have a theory. Here, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole now, Liam. This is my theory. Apparently, GSB are not getting along at the moment. Right. And this is what I honestly think is going on. Of these three people, only one of them, in my opinion, is a true West Ham United fan, bleeds claret and blue, and loves this club. And that is David Gold. Yeah. I think David Gold is clear cut a West Ham United Unfortunately for David Gold, and I'm going to throw a theory out there that I know a lot of people are probably going to push back on because I like David Gold. I'll admit that right now. I would wear his T-shirt in a heartbeat because I know the guy loves the club. But when you're not the majority, and David Gold is, that means Gold has the final say. Sullivan. How many? Oh, excuse me. Sol- yeah, Sullivan yeah, yeah. has the no, final say. You're looking at this situation where I guarantee you he gets trumped all the time. I guarantee you. And sometimes, and David Gold is a businessman, sometimes you have to, quote unquote, give the um, company line. And when you have to give the company line, I'm sure it eats David Gold's soul that he's had to say certain things and do certain things. But David Sullivan is the one because we know that he's the one with the pockets. He's the one with the final say on the transfers. He's the one that sits there when they go 40 million for Philippe Anderson and he comes back and goes, I'll give you 22 and a half. Yeah. We know that's fucking David Sullivan. We know that. Now, here's my theory on Karen Brady. The only reason Karen Brady's there is because she is trying to quote unquote, use her 
public relations because she was the first lady of football to reevaluate the image of the club. What she did though, this is the pro- this is where they fucked up with her. Okay? West Ham is blue collar East End we are brothers in arms. Here we go. Um, you know, we come from the seedy part of London. I'm not going to play games with that. Okay. Right. White chapels there, you know, the <laughs> East end Essex, all that. Like you, when you look at the East end of London, those type of people, you know, they are quote unquote, probably not the ones that if you're walking down the street, why do you put your hands in your pockets to protect your wallet sometimes? Right. And I'm not trying to be mean to the East end, but that's just the truth. But the people in the East end are phenomenal people. Yeah. They are phenomenal people. They have a bad reputation, but they're phenomenal people. Karen Brady doesn't come from the East end. Yeah. So she comes from a different part and she tries to put her spin on what this club should be. And she doesn't even fucking know. Well, she wants it to be that posh, upper-level, upper-tier bullshit, and that's not us. She doesn't recognize that that's the people. She wants to have gourmet fucking desserts (laughs) that she can fucking (laughs) post on Instagram and go, West Ham knows how to do it like Arsenal. Fuck off, lady. Like, look, you don't get it, and it's fine that you don't get it, but admit it. Admit that you were in over your head and taking the job here. Admit it. You're only there, and let's be real, because of your reputation, and they needed somebody with a good reputation, and they chose the wrong one. Right. But this, to me, is the perfect situation. We have to get rid of Brady. We have to get rid of Sullivan. I'm not necessarily sold we got to get rid of Gold. And the reason I'm not sold is because I think David Gold, if he was the breadwinner, I'm going to mark it down. I think John Joe Shelby is playing for West Ham United. Right. I think we get Philippe Anderson a month before instead of going all the way to the end of the window. I think we get it done. I think, and here's the crazy thing. Alexander Lacazette may be a West Ham United player. Yeah. And the reason why, and I'm going all that far back is because West Ham are a team that has the money. We all know that the money's there, that we know it's there. But David Gold, I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, eat me alive if I am and I will own it. But I feel like David Gold would give a vial of blood to get a player. Yeah. Whereas in David Sullivan would ask for a vial of blood. And that to me is the difference. Yep. That is why I believe that this whole unrest between GSB, honestly, is going to be a blessing in disguise for West Ham United. Because if you remember... When David Gold did his interview with X and Dave on the American Way, not the American Way, excuse me, (laughs) on the West Ham Way podcast over there, when he did that, he said if he ever sold the club, he would work out a deal where he could still be involved. Yeah. That to me says that this guy loves the club. I'm not saying he's made every right decision, but I will tell you this. I do believe he is a diehard West Ham United fan, and I do believe he wants this club to be successful. There's a reason that he's the only one that's done an interview. Think about that. Yeah. He, the only one that's done the sit-down interview to get asked the tough questions by two well-respected West Ham podcasters was David Gold. Sullivan ain't going to sit down, okay? He's too busy trying to be fucking Russian. Karen, Brady's, <laughs> Karen Brady ain't going to sit down because she's not going to have scripted answers to give us. So therefore... Much respect to David Gold for sitting his ass down in that chair and taking those questions. hundred percent. And I think Tex, you're, you're, you're on the money with there for, for, for majority of it. But I think that this is, 
I think there is more wheels within wheels when it comes to this club. And I think some of this does stem specifically from Trip Smith, right? Because I think sometimes we forget, we talk about, you know, Sullivan and Gold as like, you know, because they're the majority shareholders, but we forget about Trip Smith. And I think he's engineering some of this unrest that's behind the scenes because in 2018, he was the one that asked for the finances to be audited. So at that point, that that allowed outside investors to see the financial ruinations of this club, to see what was actually being put out there. So it it laid the groundwork for somebody to come in. Now, does that mean that you know the Americans or the Chinese have also been rumored, or if it's oil sheiks or whatever? If somebody comes in, do they buy the club outright? Possibly. Is it more likely that somebody comes in and buys a good amount of the shares in the club to become another part owner? Because Sullivan has said he was he would be fine with somebody coming in and buying part of the club, but he still wanted to remain majority shareholder. So he still wants the buck to stop with him. So I'm with you. I think that they do have to pretty much meet his asking price to get the Moscow Munchkin to take a fucking hike. Like, I don't think it happens without somebody coming in with that top level dollar. Uh, But I do think that some of the unrest has been read behind the scenes. I just don't think that gold has the balls to try to push Sullivan out of his place. I wish that he would. I swear to God, I really wish that gold would just get Sullivan and Brady out of there because I could I could tolerate gold. I'm with you. I do think that he actually gives a shit about this club, but I think he's caught up too much in the the narrative. That's is he that, caught up or is he powerless? Like that, that to me is the question. Is he caught up or is he powerless? Because if he's caught up, then I want him out too. If he's powerless because he knows he can't say anything because he's not the majority, then it's a different it's a different narrative for me with him. But it's so, but it's his club too. Like that's the thing. I don't think he's powerless. I think he just is unwilling to 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 stir the waters. Like literally, all he has to do is come out and say, "Look, I would have bought this player, but Sullivan decided that that wasn't going to be a good investment." Hey, I think we should go after this player. Like if he comes out, he has no problem going on Twitter and being like, "Hey, great job, Declan," or "Hey, great job, Grady." Now we're going to sell your ass, right? He has no problem putting his voice out there, doing interviews with with Dave and X, right? Like he he is the more vocal aspect. Brady just has her column with the sun, right? Like that's pretty much what she does unless she's doing the little promo videos for the popcorn that's being served at the fucking London stadium. Sullivan just sits in his office and counts his money. So I think if, if gold was more volatile, if he was more vocal about it, the fans would get behind him and it wouldn't be GSB out. It would just be getting rid of Brady and Sullivan. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to break it down for you so you understand. Okay, <laughs> I think you're missing me here. But let me explain it to you. It's like a relationship when you move in with the other person into their place. That's their house. This is Sullivan's house. Yeah. Gold moved in. So at the end of the day, you you could sit there and say, "Oh, it's 50-50. We're going to we're going to talk things through." But inevitably this always happens in those relationships. Well, this is my house, so this is what's going to happen. That card is going to get played in every relationship. Sure. Okay? For sure. A girl moves in with me and starts wanting to paint my walls pink. I'm going to put my foot down and be like, no, we're not going to do that. And I'm probably going to win that argument because it's my house. But if we buy that house together in a true 50-50 form, she has a lot more to say at the table. It's not that case between these two. But because, but, you, but think about it. With your analogy, think about it this way, man. If Say say I move into your to your house, right? 
So it's your house, but I move in there. But you never fucking wash the dishes. If I don't call you out on not washing the fucking dishes, you're going to continue to do the same shit that pisses me off. So even if it's your house, I can still speak out about it. And if you say, hey, man, if you don't like that I don't do the dishes, you can move the fuck out. Gold has that as an option that he can go, look, man, I don't like the way you're running this club. I'm going to be vocal about it. And if you don't want to change, then I'm the fuck out. And yeah, now you can own the club and you can deal with an un, with a with a a fan base that that has this vocal unrest and I will join their voices and I will say, "Hey, I left because I don't like the way that this club was run." Sam Allardyce did that when he went on TalkSport and he said, "No. They they Sullivan over overhanded every single decision that I tried to make. I would have players that would just show up on the pitch and I didn't even know that they'd been signed." You know, Allardyce says this, uh, Billich says it, Manuel Pellegrini says it. So it's like, it's not just the managers. Everybody says specifically Sullivan. They're not saying Sullivan and Gold are the ones that are, you know, doing this behind the, the, the scenes machinations that's ruining the club. They're very vocal about it being Sullivan. And yeah, it's easy for them to do it because they're no longer in the house. So I totally get your point in that regard. But David has been in that house for 10 years now. He's like a battered spouse that is just content to deal with the bruises and hide him in a long sleeve shirt or a turtleneck. He needs to wake the fuck up and he needs to speak out against Sullivan. If he is truly, truly West Ham, he will do it. If he is not truly West Ham, then he can fuck off with the other two. I want to make it very clear that we don't, <laughs> if you ever get, if a woman ever gets beaten, we do not support that in any way. It was just an example, but I do want to, <laughs> I do want to say this, Liam. I do want to say this. Sometimes it is a little bit of like a Stockholm syndrome situation for yeah. me with David yeah. Gold. And what I'm going to say is this, David Gold has always wanted to own West Ham United. And now he has, now he is, he's one, he's the number two guy. But he's not number one. He's not going to walk away. He's going to continue to take the abuse because maybe he's hopeful that he's going to get a bigger majority at some point because something plays out. But the one thing that I think we are in 100% agreement with is that I don't think that the issue is all three. I think it is the unbalance of power between them. Yeah, And that unbalance of power is where the problems arise because David Sullivan is without question the biggest mogul that we have to deal with at West Ham United. And with that mogul being said, we have one coming up this Saturday <laughs> when we play Arsenal, a bitter rival for me here in Fresno with no. the Fresno Gunners, Fresno Irons and Fresno Gunners. We, we always have a spirited time. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say, uh, for me, this is one of the clubs that I can't stand more than anybody. I know West Ham, we're supposed to hate Tottenham, Millwall. I get it. But, um, for me, Arsenal is probably the biggest game of the year outside of Tottenham. And so it's a huge game. And we talked at length earlier in this podcast about who we start. So we don't really need to talk about what we expect, uh, to see on the pitch as far as, uh, the personnel, but I do have a question for you, Liam. Um, what is, I got, what is your final score? Who are your goal scorers and who is your man of the match this Saturday, um, for against Arsenal? Okay. Um, this one's going to be tough, right? I think that, uh, if we, if we take points off them, um, it's going to be by the skin of our teeth. I think we can do it. Honestly, I don't think Arsenal is that dangerous of a club. Um, uh, what is it? They, cause they just got 
Oh, what's his name? Willian from Chelsea. Will, Will I am? Will I am from from Chelsea? Yeah. So, I, so, and and he he typically does pretty well against us. I think we we struggle with battling him. Um, I think if we go with the tactics that I said before, if we really try to keep them pinned back and isolate him um, out there, I think that there is the potential. I'm going to say the goals come off of uh, set pieces. So I'm going to say that Ogbana gets one off of uh, off of a header, and then I'm going to say that uh, Alaire gets one off of uh, off of a tap in uh, when it's a scramble in the box. But I think I don't think either of them come from the run of play. I think they come from set pieces. So I'm going to say two one. 2-1, very interesting shout-out. I thought you were going to channel back um, the Dimitri Payet year in 2015 <laughs> with uh, when we went to the Emirates and won 2-0. Uh, I'm not feeling positive at all, and I'm going to call it like I see it. I think we lose this game 2-0 again. Um, I don't see a lot of creativity out there. Um, I, I, I'm, I'll put this caveat on it. Um, if West Ham United go out there and there's four changes to the lineup, I think West Ham steal a point. I think it's a 1-1 draw, and I think we steal a point. Right. Um, if he makes less than four changes, like even if it's just three, I don't think we win. I think there needs to be an overhaul of the starting lineup. I think you cannot play that poorly against Newcastle, turn around and play that dominantly against Charlton Athletic, and not make some changes for the upcoming game against Arsenal. So that's just my opinion. Um, if he makes less than four changes, it's a two Oh loss. If he makes four changes, I got a one, one draw because I think the team will be rejuvenated and I think it'll be a, a much better performance or a sh- shit. It's not hard to be a better performance than that game, but, yeah. um, who's your man of the match? Oh yeah. Um, probably rice. I think for me, it's rice. I think based on the performance that he had against Newcastle in the post-match interview, uh, he was pretty downtrodden. So I could see him really stepping it up into this game. And if they go with the the lineups that you and I are suggesting and we don't have Noble on the pitch, or, I mean, if he comes in maybe 70th minute and it's Rice as the captain, I think he puts in a shift. Because I don't think this kid is just bowing his head until that Chelsea bid goes up to the 80 mil. I think this kid still wants to perform for this club. So I, I can definitely see him going in there and and putting the work in to try to get some sort of result, even if it is like what you're saying with a 1-1 draw. Uh, my man of the match is going to be Pierre I'm a, a Bobby Yang. Um, I think he scores two goals on us. Um, <laughs> I uh, That's just what I'm going to say. Um, I, I'm not going to be positive. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and sprinkle uh, unicorn shit over everything. I'm just... I just honestly don't believe that we have the right manager. I don't think we have the right group of players. I don't think we have the right tactics. Um, I don't think we have the right mindset to go into the Emirates and get a result. That's just my opinion. Now, if he makes four changes, I'm going to say my man of the match is going to be the jewel. I'm going to go with Manuel Lanzini. Um, the reason why is I think Manuel Lanzini has proven before that he is – uh, he can be very successful in any London Derby. He used to be known for scoring goals or at least getting assists in London Derbies. So I believe that if Manuel Lanzini gets a shout out there, I think he could be a difference maker. I do think it's a long shot, but he will be my man of the match. But I think Aubameyang scores two goals on us. He just signed a new contract for Arsenal. Um, he's going to look to celebrate it, driving in his fucking gold Lamborghini and that <laughs> dumbass smile. And he's going to run to the corner and that lanky ass is just going to be smiling and I'm going to have to fucking deal with it. So um, that's just, uh, that's what I think on that. Um, we also have another game to preview on Tuesday. Um, it's the next round of the Carbao cup, I believe, or is it FA cup this time? Correct no, me. I'm, 
I think it's Carabao, right? Because this is yeah. this is the the next round. Because then, if we get past Hull, we play either Everton or probably Fleetwood. like Real Madrid. No, it's yeah, probably, right. Well, well, Fleetwood will play like Real Madrid, so don't worry. Right. Um, so we play Hull City. Um, Hull City. Uh, what do you see happening that one? I believe Hull City are down only in the championship. I don't think they're in the uh, League One. I think they're in the championship. Um. Yeah, because they. I, yeah, I don't think that they dropped. I know that they dropped significantly after after Bowen came to us. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think with this one, uh, I'm going to give Bowen the the run out, and I'm going to put him as a lone striker <laughs> up top against his own glove, <laughs> you know, just to really like fuck with their minds because I'm you know I'm, I'm that kind of an asshole. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think that we probably play uh, a similar de- depending on who plays against Arsenal. I think we probably play. Um, I think we probably play the other um, run out. So if we make the four changes that you're suggesting, right? Like if you do have Alaire start, you have Yarmolenko come in, you have Lanzini come in, then I think whoever was left off, like, you know, if Fornells is sitting, if Anderson's sitting, I think that's who you see come in against um, against this whole side. You know, I don't, I don't think that Moyes tries to run out the same team because uh, he's not going to want tired legs. He's going to want people that are fresh, especially up top. Um, and I... I disagree in the sense I think you throw out the same team that went out against Charlton, regardless of who plays against Arsenal. And the reason why is you let guys know you're playing well. I'm going to continue to play you. And you can pull guys off in the at halftime. You can pull them off in the 60th minute, and you can get them a little bit of rest. But the truth is we're not good enough right now to sit there and try to have two squads. we got to yeah. find our best 11, and we got to get form going. So I think we win that game against Hull City. I think it's another 2-0 win for us. Uh, excuse me, one 3 0 um, and the last wing is Charlton, but I think we get a 2-0 win there. Um, and now it's time to get back to the part of the show that we have sorely missed. Um, yeah. We haven't been able to do this for a long time. It's time for our yellow and red cards. Liam, hit me with your yellow. Okay, so for me, I'm going to give a yellow to Aaron Cresswell. Uh, I think that he has been on a tragic decline year over year. Uh, I thought that, you know, when we picked him up in 2013, I thought he was a good pick. Uh, 2014, uh, I want to say that was the year that he got Hammer of the Year, right? So I I think that he did a fantastic job early on. I think since then, it's been a slow decline. So um, for me, he's a squad player now. I I don't think he's a starter anymore. Even if you don't have a solid replacement for him, I think you still need to run out the youth and give them that opportunity to excel and give them the minutes like we saw with Ngakia last year. Uh, just, just to add on to Cresswell, uh, he had that injury in 2016 and he's never really recovered from that. Um, that injury I think is more devastating than people realize. I don't know if it was a psychological thing, but he has never been the same player, um, since he went down. Um, I, my yellow card, to be honest with you, is going to go to every single player that played against Newcastle. <laughs> I'm giving it to the whole damn squad, and I'm giving it to the whole squad because I was sick and tired of seeing guys yell at each other. That's yeah. not who West Ham are. There was infighting. It was ugly. Um, when my captain, the guy, my all-time favorite West Ham United player will be Mark Noble. Um, yes, I'm a relatively new fan, but uh, you don't call somebody Mr. West Ham for nothing. Um, when I see him sitting there, arms crossed, looking totally defeated, it breaks my heart because I love this club. Um, yes, I haven't put in the time that some other people have, but yeah, I cry when we play shitty. 
I, yeah. I yell and scream when we play well. Um, I feel the pain just like everybody else does. And the, the point of the matter is I give yellow cards to everybody on the pitch, have a little respect for the badge on your chest, go out there, put in a better performance. If you don't like the manager, then go off to the side and get the whole team on your side and don't listen to his ass. Cause I wouldn't blame you. Yep. Go out there and at least put in a shift, at least fight and claw. If you bust your ass and we lose 2-0, I can deal with it. But when we play so shitty and lose 2-0, it just irks my soul. All right, hit <laughs> me with your red card, Liam. Um, it's going to go to David Moyes, but it's not so much just David Moyes the man. It's more of David Moyes the tactics. <laughs> David Moyes the tactician or lack thereof. Um, I, I think that the run out against Newcastle was was sad it was uh disinteresting and i think as we talked about earlier in the in the in the podcast i think that uh Moyes just got it completely wrong so uh for me that red card absolutely has to go to Moyes. i expect better of him i think our fans deserve better the supporters deserve better uh from him especially with the players that he has available at his disposal that's a great red card because I'm giving it to him too, motherfucker. Red card you, David Moyes, and I'm giving it to you for the man that you are because you look lost, because you don't know your best 11. You've been at this club now twice. You had a whole training session with them before we started playing games. You figured out how to make us look somewhat decent at the end of last season, and the fact that you can't carry that over just proves to me that whatever was happening last year wasn't what you did. It was the competition where you're playing, and they were playing shit. So red card to you. Get the hell out of the club. You don't know what you're doing. Let Kevin Nolan take over and let's get relegated with Kevin Nolan. At least I like Kevin Nolan. Yep. That's, you know, and remember, they should be doing all things for me. Let's be honest here. All <laughs> things for me. God damn. I can't. I'm, I'm sick and tired of David Moyes. He just, he he's a walking loss. That's what he is. He's a walking loss. Okay, that, that brings us to the end of the show here. Um, as always, um, want to give a quick PSA. Um, if you are ever feeling down in any way, shape, or form and feel like you've got nobody to talk to here in the United States, there is a number you can call as the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That number is one 800 273 8255. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, know that you can reach out to the Fresno Irons at any point, and we will always have somebody available to talk to. Just send us a message through our Facebook or our Twitter or our Instagram. We love all West Indian finds. We love everybody and want you to know that it's always worth taking that next breath. So make sure that you reach out to the right people at all times. Uh, Liam, Thank you so much for doing this podcast with us. Um, of course. Want to thank uh, American Hammers Radio. Thank you to Tim and Lee for providing this platform. Obviously, all listeners of American Hammers Radio, if you want to get involved with the show, please drop us a line on Twitter at AH. I think it's AH Radio, I believe. Um, American Hammers Radio, or you can hit us on Facebook at American Hammers Network 3. So please make sure that you drop us a line if you want to get involved with the show or if you want to tell me how dumb I am because I have a crush on David Gold because I know that's coming. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless, we do appreciate your time. Um, big game this Saturday, Liam. Big game. I like it. Arsenal. I mean, hey, man, anytime it's at a London Derby, you know, anytime it's a London Derby, I'm I'm on pins and needles. So, you know, here's here's hoping for the win. Here's hoping that we come, come away with three points because God knows we need it. Yeah, it's a big game. London Derby at the Emirates. Fresno Irons, Fresno Gooners. We don't get along. Let's have a little fun. <laughs> um, so at the end of the day, um, if you don't have anywhere to go and you're on your own and you find yourself in the Central Valley of California, 
Why don't you come hang out with the Fresno Irons? This Saturday will be at the Skull House. Uh, message us for uh, directions. We will absolutely let you know. It's another Fresno Irons house party. Nice. Um, thank you so much for listening. As always, come, come on, on, you Irons. irons. <laughs>